0: fishing the other day. got me here. Look at the one of them. You better. More. Better. More. <laughs> A lot of people won't tell you. We'll for the tea. You better be holding on Welcome to Main Street Oh fuck yeah Oh fuck yeah. How we doing folks? Welcome to fucking Main Street, Bob. Uh, This episode this week's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be a little late, first of all. Normally it release at like 12.01 Wednesday morning. I'm recording this Wednesday morning, so I apologize for the tardiness, but... Um, no guests this week. It's just me solo ripping Mr. Solo Dolo at, at, at night. So, um, I've got some stuff prepared. Um, we're going to talk about some history. We're going to talk about, well, pretty much just, yeah, Maine history. Some cool shit that I like about Maine. This episode's probably not going to be as long as the normal one. Uh, I think it's going to be a little hard to carry myself for an hour normally i have someone else help me with that so um i've got some stuff some stuff written here that uh i'm going to read a little i'm going to pontificate a little i'm going to expand a little i'm going to give you uh, my little flavor on on this stuff but this is basically um going to be main history and i'm going to go a little deeper into a topic that uh, I really enjoy, which is uh, the 20th Maine, which um, was a regiment during the Civil War, which was completely made up of Mainers, of volunteers, who went from being mutinous people that almost got executed for mutiny, or imprisoned, certainly, to being the regiment that saved the union from losing the civil war at the battle of Gettysburg. Holy fuck. Do I have a speech impediment or what? The battle of Gettysburg, where if the union lost, um, would have been a big fucking deal and would have been bad, bad, bad fucking news. So, uh, if you're listening to that, this at work, uh, Buckle up, because it's going to be all over the place and probably bad. Excuse me, I was just grabbing myself a little cheech. A little cheechy-poo off the Ripper. Alright. So. Main history. Main fucking history. Yep. Okay, so today we're going to be delving deep into the fascination fascinating history of Maine from its northern roots from its fucking right down to the fucking modern day bub. All right, so I am going to be reading a little bit here, stuff that I prepared, so excuse me for maybe sounding a little robotic, but I'll take some breaks in between these, uh, this kind of mock script that I've made for myself and, uh, expand about what I know. Alright, so the early history of Maine. To understand Maine's history, we must begin with the indigenous people who first called this land home. And that would be the Wabanaki. Sorry, my pronunciation of some of this shit is not gonna be, uh not going to be perfect, but I think you know what I mean. So it's the Wabanaki. Inside that group is the Abenaki, the Penobscot, the Passamaquoddy, and the Maliseet tribes. They're all known as Wabanaki. They all share the same language they share a lot of the same culture, obviously, with these tribes. They're independent from each other, and that's for a reason. They have differences. But for the most part, I think all of these tribes that I just listed are friendly with each other. Or they may trade with each other. I believe they play lacrosse against each other. It's somewhat friendly, or a lot friendlier than how they are with other other tribes. Uh, a tribe not on this list is the micmac and the micmac's native range was all the way stretching from maine northern maine like Aroostook county all the way out to nova scotia and then you know depending on the season depending on the need depending on the food they would migrate from anywhere northern or far eastern maine out to the island of nova scotia Um, Maine's lush forests and abundant waters made it a paradise for these native communities. The coastline's rich in seafood. Dense woods provided resources for survival. So, you know, when Europeans first discovered Maine, specifically, um, I'm—I should have written this down beforehand. And I'm spacing on it now, of course. But when there's a first-hand account, like a diary entry that you can read of an English settler. Also, let me give you some context. When people started leaving Europe to come to the New World after it was discovered, and after there was kind of a call put out to like, you know, Move here. We need people here. We need to build colonies and all kinds of shit. The people who decided to go were the bravest, were the wildest, were the craziest, the ones who were persecuted the most, the ones who had nothing really to lose. You know, if they went to the new world and they all died, I guess it'd be better than what they had in Europe. And at the time in Europe, Europe was at its absolute bottom of the barrel of the quality of life. In the 16th century, so in the 1500s, after America was discovered. Europe had poisoned the landscape. Um, Terrible, terrible living conditions. Poverty, especially in places that are very densely populated, like England. It was terrible. Um, You know, the Jack the Ripper um crime was out of control There was, really no one gave a fuck back then and there's the uh little fun fact for you here unless i'm completely wrong the origin of the word hangover comes from this time that what i'm speaking about in england where you could pay for the night one penny or maybe two pennies basically no money You could pay to be inside and hung over a rope. So imagine there's a rope across the room that you're in, if you're in a room, and it's anchored on both walls, and it's about three or four feet off the floor. And what you would do is, is you would pay someone, like you were going to a hotel room, and you would go into this room full of other people, and you would put your uh, put that rope against your waist and lean forward until your feet came off the ground. And then you would ap- apparently sleep there for the night. Because in the wintertime, a lot of homeless people, a lot of peasants, a lot of lower class A lot of people who had no hope, no future, and no opportunity either. You'd have to find a penny throughout the day so you could be hungover the next day. So you wouldn't freeze to death outside because at least as terrible as that sounds for a sleeping arrangement, you'd be indoors for that, which would be a blessing in the winter. And I think that's, I believe, that's where the term hungover or having a hangover comes from is literally hanging over a rope so you can sleep, which is fucked. Um, alright, here's my next uh, little part of the script here. European explorers first arrived in the early 1600s, alright so I'm a little ahead of schedule in the 1500s here, with the French establishing the first permanent settlement Acadia in Maine Later, the English and French vied for control of this region, leading to the first Acadian expulsion in 1755. All right, so Acadia, that's French. Acadians are also French. Now, I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but when I was a student at the University of Maine at Presque Isle, I had an anthropology class with Professor David Putnam. And that man is a genius. And that man knows basically all there is to know about Maine. And he was teaching an anthropology class, which was kind of, you know, you kind of learned a little bit about everything Um, and a lot of stuff about Maine and a lot of stuff that wasn't really taught and uh, most people really didn't know. And this is the first little nugget of true knowledge here that I believe is relevant even currently that most Mainers don't know. And that's after the first Acadian expulsion in 1755. What that that means is that there was a war between England and France in North America. We Americans call it the French and Indian War the Europeans they called it the seven years war I believe now this there is a case to be made here for this war the French and Indian War being the first true world war because there was fighting in the Atlantic there was fighting in North America between French and English colonies There was fighting in Europe, between England and France. And there was fighting in the Atlantic, where French and British ships would routinely get into naval combat. So this is the first war between two combatants being fought on two different continents. Maybe three, if you consider maybe in the Caribbean, Central America uh England didn't have any colonies in South America. France had basically none. But there probably was fighting in the Caribbean as well. So it, it was a big deal and England was fighting with the help of uh the 13 colonies. And England won. Defeated uh the French and the French native allies, and as a punishment in the treaty, um I'm sorry, I didn't prepare the name of the treaty or what year it was signed. Maybe I'll do a whole episode on the French and Indian War um, and try to stay in the bounds of you know how Maine is involved in that because Maine up until it was uh, has its modern border, It was basically split down the middle of the modern land of Maine now. And the eastern portion would have been French, the western portion would have been English. And obviously Canada, during the French and Indian War, was French. So, England won the French and Indian War. And as part of the treaty, part of the terms that they came to to end the war was that French people and French soldiers had to basically leave everywhere they were in North America to go to the only other place in North America that England did not pursue through the treaty, which was Louisiana which America later famously bought from Napoleon. Now, when this war ended, in Maine, there was a lot of French people who called themselves, they didn't call themselves French, they didn't call themselves Americans, they didn't call themselves Canadians, they called themselves Acadians, because they were from Acadia. Now, when these people were uh, expelled, when they were kicked out after they lost the war, as part of the terms of the treaty in 1755, these people relocated to Louisiana. Specifically, the only port of the Louisiana territory that French controlled, the only port was New Orleans. So all these Acadians went to New Orleans. And they started to have a change in their accent by living in New Orleans. And over time, the accent started to change what they identified as. And the word Acadian became Cadian became Cajun. And that's right, folks. The modern Cajun culture, people, and history all derives from French lineage Mainers. Mainers are Cajuns, and Cajuns are Mainers. If you didn't know that, I hope that blew your mind, because it blew my fucking mind when I was in college in an anthropology class. I was completely spellbound by the content of this class. I couldn't believe the information that I was gleaning. I never wanted the class to end. And honestly, if I could take it even online, I would fucking take it. I mean, I just that sort of information, the knowledge, the relevance, to the the ability to know something about Maine that I didn't know that I'd never heard before was very powerful, and it's still powerful even now to think about it. And that was nine years ago for me, uh, as of today, or you know, this year is nine years ago, and uh, that was or eight years ago. I'm sorry. And that was the shit. All right. So, uh the next segment I've got prepared here is uh uh the American Revolution and uh what that had uh how that had an effect on Maine. All right, back to the script. Uh during the American Revolution, Maine played a significant role in the fight for independence. The Battle of Machias in 1775 often return, referred to as the quote Lexington of the Seas, end quote, was one of the first naval battles of the revolution. Maine's rugged coast was a hotbed, a private, privateering, priv, pirateering, privateering, fucking am retarded, along with patriots raiding British ships. All right, so to be honest, I do not know much about the Battle of Machias, Uh, 1775 would have been obviously before the Declaration of Independence was signed. Um, Lexington of the Sea, um, obviously the Battle of Lexington was a big deal. In the Revolution, the shot hurt round the world. Um, so I guess this being the first naval battle of, you know, uh, a colonist, uh, aligned ship versus a British ship, um, in a battle, uh. In my script here, I didn't actually prepare much information about the battle or who won. But at the time, in 1775, the British Navy would have been a very, very big deal. So uh, I'm assuming it was a British ship attacking uh, an American colonist vessel of some sort. All right, Maine... And you have to remember, Maine back then was part of Massachusetts. But, funny enough, New Hampshire was a state. So you had Massachusetts, exactly where it is today. And you had New Hampshire, exactly where it is today. And then Maine was a colony of Massachusetts. That makes sense to fucking nobody. And it made sense to fucking nobody back then either. Because if that means if you got in legal trouble or you had to go to court for something, that you had to travel to Massachusetts proper from Maine in 1770. That means you had to take a fucking horse. What takes you now? Hours in a car. So it was a big fucking deal. And I'm pretty sure people, Mainers, died traveling to and from court because there was a lot of bullshit and shenanigans on the fucking way. There's a lot of highwaymen, which is just another word for a fucking criminal, who would just prey on people who were traveling to and from. Because if you had to pay a fine, you had to travel with money. And a lot of people would just wait on the side of you know what used to be I-95 back in the day. And if they saw people coming without very many weapons or men or protection... They just, a gang of guys would just descend upon you and fuck you up. And, uh, that, that was part of the reason why Maine became eventually very, very vocal about, Hey, we're a fucking independent state. This is fucking bullshit. We are not part of Massachusetts. Will you fuck off already? And eventually they did fuck off. But, hold on, let's fuck on for a second. Maine, then part of Massachusetts, ratified the U.S. Constitution in 1788, becoming the 23rd state of its union. What the fuck? Is that right? That can't be true, folks. Maine ratified the Constitution, becoming the 23rd state. Uh, But we didn't become independent until 1820 in the Missouri Compromise, so I don't really understand what I've got written here. That's fucked. That could be true. I guess Massachusetts ratified the uh, Constitution in that year, and I guess by proxy we did too. But Mass, I imagine, would have not been the 23rd state. It would have been a lot sooner than that. Anyway, moving on. A shipping industry thrived. And the state's vast timber resources contributed to the nation's growth. So this is another thing about Maine that the Europeans could not fucking believe. Is that we have hardwood that is very straight. We have softwood even that is very straight. And when Europeans came to the Maine coast and they saw all these trees that were perfectly straight. I mean it's exactly what you're looking for when you're trying to make a ship. When you're trying to make a boat, back in the day, you had to make masts. And these masts had to be able to hold sails. And you had to have a straight mast. You had to. And the only way you could get a straight mast back then is by having a tree that somehow grew perfectly straight up. And Maine had no problem producing timber like that. And Europeans would come, or actually more specifically the British... They would come to the coast, and they would just cut these fucking things down, shave the bark off them. Um, I don't know if they treated them or not. I imagine somehow they had something that they put on the wood to make it last longer. And then you got a mast. You got a fucking tree that, you know, is a million feet in the air, and it's perfectly level. So. Mains the shit. It always has been, and everyone else knew that, too. Um... Yes. And then the War of eighteen twelve, which at this point, the United States won the revolution. Um I didn't have anything written down about uh Captain Mowat or the uh the burning of Falmouth, which I believe happened in uh the war of eighteen twelve. I might I'm doing a lot of history here today, so You know, if this episode goes well, if you guys like this episode, let me know, because I might do individual episodes for these individual wars and conflicts and how that really affected Maine. Um, I know in the, uh, in the war of 1812, at that point, America is, uh, the United States of America is an independent country. We've got our own constitution, our own bill of rights, I believe at this point, um, And then in the War of 1812 was between us and England. So we went to war after the revolution with England again. Um, Quick little couple things that happened, obviously. I'm not a historian. I'm not an expert. This is what I know. Uh, Andrew Jackson, who later became a president, was a general during this war. And he was fighting in the Battle of New Orleans, which... um, at that point, we had purchased the Louisiana Territory, bringing Acadians, Cadians, Cajuns, back into the fold of America, and uh, the English were attacking that port pretty fiercely, and Andrew Jackson famously had a bunch of farmers, bunch of people that were militia, didn't have any military experience, maybe not all of them, there could have been some regular troops there, but a lot of them were volunteers who were just people who lived around the area and one day they're just doing their own thing and the next day they are fighting in a battle. They were very brave, fought very bravely, and Andrew Jackson ended up holding the port. He never lost the port of New Orleans, which was a heroic thing because he was fighting British regulars. Um and the british navy that was bombarding the port and probably setting fires and uh not allowing food or resources to come in and out of the mississippi river so he had his hands tied and still was able to win a boxing match which was was isn't incredible on the other hand the british marched into washington dc and burnt the white house down uh and then basically left um so that was embarrassing and then uh but the old white house was a fucking dump and it was built on a swamp so uh we actually made something better which is what we still stands today obviously it's had a couple of remodelings but it's in the same spot as the new one was erected originally back in the day and i believe also in the war of 1812 is when the um when the, there was an expedition militarily through Maine to attack a fort in, I don't know, I guess that would have been during the French and Indian War. Um, yeah, I bet it was, because I think it was uh, Benedict Arnold, who famously, during the revolution, switched sides to the British from the American side, who's a traitor. Um, I believe he traveled up Maine and had to bring canoes with them and they ported and they marched all the way up to Quebec and immediately lost a battle and I think they all surrendered or some shit. It was fucked. Anyway, I don't even know if that's right. Back to the script here. Um, Our next topic is the Aroostik War, which I do not know much about, but I will definitely look more into the heuristic war, which was more of a border dispute than an actual war erupted in the early 1830s. It was a clash between the United States and Britain over the territorial boundary between Maine and New Brunswick, though it didn't result in any major battles. It was a testament to the complex history of the maine Canadian border. Um, so I, I, don't know much about this but I think just from reading this I'm kind of stirring up maybe I'm kind of falsely even remembering that this is what led to the modern border if you look at Maine on a map today the border that it has I believe was a result of this final thing because like I was saying before when France was here when uh, before the French and Indian War maine was basically split down the middle of what it is today and the western side the left side would have been british and the right side the eastern side would have been french and that was a wicked pain in the ass but after the french and indian war the entire area became british so it didn't fucking matter and then after the revolutionary war all of a sudden it did fucking matter again so if you lived in maine uh genera- uh generationally Through that time, you would have had border disputes constantly with the French because, you know, French could come in and raid or attack or commit crime or steal and then just go back to the French-controlled part of Maine and British uh, law enforcement or authority couldn't do anything about it because they weren't even in the area. You couldn't arrest them. You can't go into French territory to arrest someone on a British crime so it fucking, it was terrible, and then after the Revolutionary War, it resurfaced this new issue again of border disputes, because America, or what is America now, became independent, and what is Canada now, became an enemy of ours, so we're back into fucking border disputes all over Maine, constantly, all the time, someone coming into your village, if you were close to the territorial dispute and would say hey this is a part of fucking england get the fuck out of your house we're burning it down and then you'd have to run west or south and get back to a main colonist and be like hey these motherfuckers just burned our house down is someone gonna fucking do something and you could make a lot of noise get a lot of sympathy publicly through writing in newspaper but you weren't going, nothing happened. Um, The people were often left to what happened to them, to their own devices, and it was just a hard, hard place to live because it could take you a generation to build up something that in an afternoon uh, criminals could destroy and take from you. Um, And it led to the people of Maine being a very hardy, very resilient group of people um. and we come from the Founding Fathers' stock. We are an old, strong, resilient people. We always have, and we always fucking will. All right, now we're up to the Civil War at this point. That was The Roostic War was in the 1830s. The Civil War is in the 1860s. So the Civil War, obviously everyone knows about the Civil War. I'm not going to go much into that or how it started. But, you know, uh, the states of the Union, after uh, Lincoln called for volunteers, people started volunteering. And Maine contributed over 30,000 soldiers to the Union Army. And Joshua Chamberlain who was a professor at Bowdoin College, um, volunteered. I believe he was an English professor. He was, a, he was an amateur philosopher. He was a very deep-thinking person and a very strongly Christian man. Uh, he believed in God, and he was a devout Christian. Stud fucking, he's the man, and he eventually became a celebrated figure for his leadership during the Battle of Gettysburg, which uh, I'm going to go a little bit more into, um, uh, in just a little bit, but first, um, we're going to keep going on the timeline, I'm going to try to get us up to modern day here in this episode, so... Um, Just know that during the Civil War, Maine contributed over 30,000 soldiers, which were all volunteers, um, and they were very good. And the 20th Maine specifically, I will get more into, but the troops from Maine were notorious amongst the Union for being very big, tall, strong guys that you want to have either around you or in front of you when the shit hits the fan alright so then uh, in 1866 uh, we had the Great Fire Um, and that was famously when the city of Portland uh, caught fire and the fire spread super quick and it destroyed basically the entire city Um, at the time it wasn't Portland it was Falmouth and then because so much was destroyed, um, all right, come on now, buddy. Come on now, buddy. Oh, man, got a little birds. So after Falmouth in 1866 had caught fire and basically was all destroyed, um, Falmouth decided you know, to rebuild this all would be a huge pain in the ass why don't we just give half of this space to a new town and have them fucking have a construction? Which I could just be making up, but I think that's about right. And the other half that they gave away, they deemed Portland. We all know Portland today is being a place where, uh, in my opinion, it's pretty fucking cool. Uh, it's the biggest st- uh, biggest city in Maine. And it's the only real place in Maine where you can go and feel like you're uh, in a real urban setting. Maybe you could say the same about Bangor or Lewiston or Augusta. But I, of that pick, I'd say I'd pick Portland. A big Portland guy lived in Portland for a couple of years. And uh, who knows when it's all said and done, I may be back there for a couple more fucking years. So... And now we're up to the 20th century, the 1900s. The 20th century saw Maine go through various transitions. It remained an essential region for shipbuilding, fishing, and tourism. With tourism starting to flourish, thanks to its stunning coastline and natural beauty, Maine's Acadia National Park was established in 1919, becoming a gem in the national park system. In recent history, Maine has become a leader in environmental conservatism, conservation, uh, and its unique culture continues to thrive, attracting artists, writers, and others seeking a slower pace of life. Yep, yeah, basically, um, national park system. We've got a big swath of Maine being devoted to being pristine forever. And a lot of fucking people from all over the country and all over the world come to Maine just to go to Acadia National Park. Um, And with great shame, I've never been to Acadia National Park. Not yet. I will go eventually. Um, And I've been to a a lot of places in Maine, but that is one of them that I've never been. So uh, you can uh, comment down below and tell me I'm gay. Alright, so we're up to modern day, you know, the twenty first century and to current back to the script. Today Maine is a state of contrast. It combines with its it, it combines the charm of its small towns with the dynamicism. Holy fuck. Dynam dynamism. Yeah. Small towns and large cities. It's very dynamic. Lobstering and tourism remain crucial industries, while education, healthcare, and technology have grown in importance. Maine is a state that values its natural beauty and outdoor activities. It's a place where you can explore the wilderness, hike the Appalachian Trail, or simply enjoy a picturesque coastline. All right, so that's kind of a cop out there. Uh, Modern history of Maine, not really anything except for lobster and tourism are a big deal. I could have done better here. Sorry, folks. You will get a better history episode next time I do one, I promise. Uh, In conclusion, back to the script. Maine's history is a story of resilience, adaptation, and growth from the early Wabanaki tribes to the present day. Its tales of individuals and communities shaping its incredible... Uh, Basically, Maine's the shit, and if you don't know, uh, now you know, bleep. You know what I'm saying? This guy knows. Alright, so now we're going to go back into the 20th Maine. Um, I love the 20th Maine. In my living room, where I'm sitting right now, I have a 20th Maine flag up on the wall, like an American flag. The 20th Maine Volunteers. Um... You can Google it and you will see what I'm seeing. Beautiful flag. It's got an eagle on it with the crest of the Union, all the stars of the Union. Uh, It's an eagle holding an olive branch and arrows. And in its mouth it has a ribbon. And on the ribbon it's wrote in, in Latin, E Pluribus Unum. And if you guys are interested in getting a translation on that, E... Pluribus unum it's Latin, and it's fucking awesome i'll let you guys look that one up fucking get involved bud all right so now into the 20th maine 20th maine was raised in the summer of 1862 it was composed primarily of volunteers from maine and like other regiments during the civil war It was formed in response to President President Lincoln's call for troops, which is what I referenced earlier. Lincoln put out a message to all the Union, hey, start raising armies. We need need an army. Um, It was all volunteers. A bunch of Maine boys heard the call and came running. And the 20th Maine... um, This unit originally was led by Colonel Abdelbert Ames, a West Point graduate and former captain in the U.S. Army. Under his command, the 20th Maine quickly gained a reputation for discipline and dedication. Fuck yeah. Um, The Battle of Fredericksburg. This was the 20th Maine's first significant engagement. It was in December of 1862. So, remember, this regiment was raised in the summer of 62, so this is December now. So it's only been a couple months since this has even been an organized group of men from Maine, and they're going into battle. So, um, it's pretty quick here, going from just being a farmer or a sailor to being, uh, you know, you got to put a musket in your hand and you're going to have to fucking get some. All right, back to the script. Um they along with the rest of the Union forces faced a determined Confederate defense. So they were on the offensive the 20th Maine. While they didn't experience the success they would later become famous for, their performance at Fregr- Fregritz- Fred Fredricksburg, holy fuck, showcased their bravery and tenacity. Following the Battle of the 20th Maine, continued to train and drill, preparing for the next encounter with the Confederates. All right, now we're fasting forward here to the Battle of Gettysburg, which was in July 1863. And I believe the 20th Maine was in multiple battles between now and then, um, which maybe someday I'll go further into uh, in, in its own episode. But the defining moment... Back to the script. The defining moment in the 20th main history came at the Battle of Gettysburg in July 1863. On the second day of the battle, they were stationed on Little Round Top, a strategically crucial position on the Union left flank. So, if you imagine, if you draw a line, and you draw another line above it at the same size, like a parallel line, the left flank would be the far left end of the line you drew. And the importance here in combat is that you do not want to get surrounded, ever. Now, if your left flank or your right flank, so the far ends of that line you drew in your mind, if those collapse or, you know, if those troops don't do well or can't hold their position, then that other line that you drew above it that army can move around to beside you or move around to behind you. That is something you never fucking want to happen. So the 20th Maine during the Battle of Gettysburg was the extreme far left flank of the Union position, meaning Little Round Top, if you Google that. The Confederate Army was at a lower altitude than the union army for this battle we were holding the top of a hill now if the 20th Maine on the battle of gettysburg had failed it would give the ability the confederates to be able to get up the hill and get on level ground with the union army and be beside or behind the union army which is where the ammunition and the supplies and the uh, field hospitals And all that shit is, the tents where everyone's sleeping, where everyone's shit is, it's bad. You do not want that to fucking happen. And in this case, this would be the way that the Union Army would would retreat if they had to, was back this way. So giving up this position would essentially be the loss of this battle. So Maine and the boys of the 20th Maine were placed intentionally in this position as you guys got to, what, no matter what fucking happens, you cannot lose this fucking position. Alright, back to the script. When the Confederate forces under the command of General Hood launched a fierce assault to seize Little Round Top, the 20th Maine found themselves in the hot seat. Colonel, Colonel Joshua, I'm sorry. I'm having a bad time reading this morning. Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who was in charge of the 20th Maine, knew the importance of their position. As the Confederate Army attack intensified, Chamberlain made a bold decision. All right, so I believe these are regiments from Alabama that are attacking the 20th Maine on this day in this battle. General Hood, I believe, was from Alabama. And the numbers here, um, I don't have. But Maine is outnumbered, probably four to one, I think. So for every one Mainer, there's four Alabamans attacking their position. Of course, they have the high ground, which helps. But four to one is kind of tough. Now, and they've been fighting all day. They've been shooting a musket. So if you imagine a good soldier is able to fire and reload his musket once per minute. So for pulling the trigger, you've got to do 60 seconds of drilled, disciplined, routinely practice reloading of your weapon. It's a wicked pain in the ass. And if you shoot and reload, you know, for an hour, for two hours, for five hours, you're exhausted. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of adrenaline. You get fucking really tired. And during this battle, the Battle of Little Round Top, in the Battle of Gettysburg, Joshua Chamberlain had no ammo. There was a point in this battle where they didn't have any fucking bullets. Genuinely. They'd been shooting all day and they just did not have any bullets anymore. When that happened, Joshua Chamberlain decided that the only thing he had left to attack with was with the bayonets of the muskets. I'll go back to the script here. In an extraordinary display of courage and tactical brilliance, Chamberlain ordered his men to fix bayonets and execute a daring charge down the hill, catching the Confederates off guard. Now, During the Civil War, the confederates the southern Southern men in the Confederate Army were known for howling for making a very intimidating scream in combat. Now, these Alabamans did not think a smaller you know one quarter of their size. I think there was 800 of them, maybe 200-something in the 20th main. They're coming down the hill now. They've been shooting at them all day. They've been trying to sneak up, get closer. They got real close to their position a couple times and would run back down the hill and get regrouped and come back up the hill. They're coming down the hill now. Joshua Chamberlain calls, fix bayonets, and charge. They're coming down the hill. They're running down the fucking hill. You better be fucking holding on. You got 200 Mainers coming down the fucking hill with bayonets coming. Let's fucking go, dude. Let's fucking go. And guess fucking what happened? These motherfuckers turned and ran. They started running as fast as their fucking feet could carry them. And we took hundreds of prisoners. There's no bullets in our fucking gun. 20th Maine had no ammunition and took hundreds of prisoners. You got you know how fucking intimidating you have to be to get 400 guys with bullets in their guns to surrender to 200 guys with no ammunition? Back to the script. The 20th Maine's bravery and determination stopped the Confederate advance and secured Little Round Top for the Union. So after this charge down the hill, after General Hood's Alabamans were bent over and broken by the 20th Maine, they didn't try to take Little Round Top again for the rest of the Battle of Gettysburg. Too fucking scared. Didn't want it. It's too hot in the kitchen. Don't fucking cook. The 20th main stand at Gettysburg is remembered as one of the most heroic actions of the Civil War. Their unwavering commitment and their duty to each other saved the Union line and inspired generations of Americans. Americans. And I'll tell you what, dude, I can be brought to fucking tears thinking about how brave you'd have to be to pull that shit off. How brave you'd have to be to be Joshua Chamberlain and know your guys are exhausted from shooting all day and telling them with no ammunition to charge downhill. Knowing that if the position below you retreated and turned around and fired would eviscerate your men. Your men that you've been fighting with for at this point a year you've known these men for a year and there was a big big mutiny in the 20th Maine where the men originally felt despondent they didn't felt seen They would fight and be as brave as any soldier could ever be, but they needed the right leader, and that's exactly who Joshua Chamberlain was. When he took over command of the 20th Maine, he stopped treating them like criminals. He stopped treating them like children. He started listening to them. He started showing them respect, and the respect that they were able to get for themselves after being treated so well by such a noble man like Joshua Chamberlain. This He ended up inspiring them and leading them to one of the most brave and heroic efforts in the entire Civil War. Men that not too long before, maybe a year or a couple months, were in trouble for not following orders, which back then was, you could be executed for that. You could be jailed indefinitely for that. And instead of punishing them, Joshua Chamberlain treated them like men. And eventually got them to fight like men. Real men. It's so inspiring. I still read the accounts and I get so almost emotional. It takes so much bravery. It takes so much character and constitution to be able to do something like that. To take men under your command and lead them to a heroic victory. This is stuff of fucking legends, folks. After Gettysburg, the 20th Maine continued to see action in various battles, including the Battle of Cold Harbor and the Siege of Petersburg. They played a role in the Confederate surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse, effectively marking the end of the Civil War. I believe Joshua Chamberlain and some of the men of the 20th Maine were at Appomattox Courthouse where General Lee surrendered his sword. And the war was over. Back to the script. After the Civil War, many of the soldiers of the 20th Maine returned home to Maine and resumed their civilian lives. Some, like Chamberlain, went on to have successful careers in politics and education. Chamberlain himself later received the Medal of Honor for his actions at Gettysburg. The Medal of Honor. The legacy of the 20th Maine Regiment is still celebrated today. Their story has been the subject of books, documentaries, and even the movie Gettysburg. Their standard little round top is an enduring symbol of courage and determination. The 20th Maine Regiment is a testament to the incredible stories that emerged from the American Civil War. Their heroics at Gettysburg and throughout the war, serves as a reminder of the sacrifice made by so many during that tumultuous time. God bless the 20th Maine. God bless the Union. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to the podcast today my first solo one on this feed, um, I hope it came out good, honestly, I can't really tell, I hope you guys enjoyed it, if you did, if you're still listening, I really appreciate you, uh, it means a lot to me that you would listen to the end of this episode, or to the end of any of my episodes, I honestly, honestly, um, I really appreciate it, it means a lot to me, um, And if you guys want to help support the podcast, um, uh, give us a review. If you're listening on Apple or um, Spotify or Google Podcasts or uh, Amazon Music, please, please, please just give us a review. Whatever you think is fair, whatever you think the podcast deserves. Um, The more reviews we get, the more when someone searches for Main Street, they find my podcast this podcast instead of a million other fucking results um, um, and another free way to support the podcast is to tell your friends if you know someone in your life that listens to podcasts uh, tell them about this one um, the only way the podcast will get bigger or spread at all is by my my listeners talking about it. Um, and if you guys would do that, I mean, I would be eternally grateful. It means the world to me. I always wanted to have a podcast. I've always had the passion to do things like this and finally doing them feels really good. And, um, if eventually this podcast could turn into something that I could do full time, that would be beyond a dream come true. Um, so again, thank you. I love you guys. Um. I think that's about a podcast. Um, fucking smoke cigarettes I guess. Whoops. Oh shit, my bad folks, wrong button here. USA! Okay. USA!